What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of Made Immersers. I am sorry for the delay in getting this episode out to you. I've been super busy with work and other things at home, but here we are for another episode. I have a guest today who I met in 2016 whilst I was performing the Muslim pilgrimage of Hajj. We'll probably get into that a bit later on, but I had the privilege of spending a lot of time with him during this time and we became really good friends. He's a super talented software developer. He is the father of two beautiful children, and just like me, he's a YouTube cooking show binge watcher. I give to you today's guest, Ahmed. Ahmed, welcome to the show, bro. Hey, Zakalakhir, for having me on. No worries at all, brother. Barakalafiq. How you doing? I'm alright, Alhamdulillah. Not bad at all. Yeah, just uh, take, taking it day by day. The, the you know the the, the situation these days. But Alhamdulillah, <laughs> all's all's good. All's good. How about you? Yeah, all good, my brother. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. And if you don't mind, we'll go straight into it. Sure, absolutely. So tell me, ethnically, what's your background? Who are you? Who is Ahmed? So ethnically, uh, I'm a bit bit of a hodgepodge, actually. (laughs) Um, So my father is from Pakistan. Okay. but originally he's he was he was from india and uh, you know when the he sort of moved over to pakistan after pakistan was formed so um it's again like it's a bit of a bit of a mixture of a background there okay um and my my mom is from yemen she okay. was born in yemen in aden and uh and for her as well her her, her dad basically was is uh, is Yemeni, but her mom um, is Indian. And then when you dig further back into her dad's, into my 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 Giddu's, um background, he's also a mixture of uh, Yemeni and uh, and and Indian. And so there's a lot of Yemeni and Indian blood mixed okay. there, and this Pakistani and Indian. So yeah, I guess you could sort of maybe call it a hodgepodge, but it's a, it was a very very confused confused uh ethnically very confused upbringing for me <laughs> no that's uh that's amazing see i didn't realize that um well firstly i didn't realize in terms of when we first met that there was there was a lot of indian in terms of your heritage but then also that it mm-hmm. goes back further than just your generation yeah yeah oh man yeah the, all of these were actually quite quite recent findings as well um, yeah, there's a few cousins who are digging into our backgrounds and they sort of keep sharing insights, which is actually quite fascinating. No, that is cool. So in terms of, I guess, the the, the duality of it, having both an Asian and an Arab side, um, is there one that you'd say is more prominent in your personality or kind of in who you are? Or would you say it's kind of mixed? I would, I would say it's mixed. Yeah, I would definitely say it's mixed. And um, um I, I sort of sometimes catch myself by surprise I'm like uh whoa that's a bit of an arab side of me that i just didn't realize was there okay <laughs> uh, or that's a little bit of a like an asian like um a pakistani side of me that i didn't quite realize was there and so it was yeah it's uh, sometimes it catches you by surprise but the thing is it even though i am i am these these mixtures sometimes it's like you know, I, I guess we'll go up in, into my into my history a little bit more. Sorry, into my upbringing a little bit more. Um, but uh, I guess it it was always at some point, at many points, it was very hard for me to relate. It was very hard for mm-hmm. me to sort of connect back. And so um, I think yeah, 
throughout my upbringing i've i've just felt i i'm supposed to be something else uh it yeah it didn't always feel like uh you know i was one of these um purely yeah and uh, yeah there were many many points in my upbringing that i just felt like yeah, i i don't fit in either one of these um uh pigeonholes for sure mm. okay so I, don't, I guess if you don't mind can we talk about that a bit more what what would you say in terms of examples um that you know you feel like because you're the only mix of this i've ever met in terms of that and you know i don't have much exposure to to arab culture at all it's very much mm -hmm. you know what you see at the masjid and that's pretty much it i don't really have um you know so i wouldn't be able to tell you what that what those staples are or what those things are so in terms of your upbringing you know what would you say um those examples are where you didn't feel like you fit in either side um so i guess i was um maybe this was just sort of my own my own um I brought this basically up upon myself, maybe, but basically I was always very happy about the fact that I was a mix. So I used to sort of, when I was when I was very young, I used to shout it loud and proud. Mm. And uh, I guess as soon as any Arab sort of groups of uh, groups of of people heard that I'm also Pakistani, they always thought, oh, okay, his dad is Pakistani, so. Uh, he's not quite one of us and like I always I got always left behind I got always not really involved um, in those things and then when I went and hung out with people or tried to hang out with people um, who are typically Pakistani or Indian or, or something like that they they always were like oh but he's like Arab speaking so we don't really know is he gonna is he gonna treat us bad is he not gonna treat us bad is he gonna do this it just uh, oh he's he speaks arab like them so uh, maybe he's one of them i don't know what he's doing here kind of thing so i've i've always experienced that from actually mm -hmm. from but from from both groups um uh, i funny enough i i experienced that to this to this day actually uh it's it's a little bit weird wow okay so i guess my next question if you don't mind is when did that start when did you first notice that specifically those two um people from those two backgrounds when did you notice that they would you know make these comments or even sometimes indirectly when did you start noticing that um i actually started noticing that from a very young age so um i guess i didn't mention this but i i was i was born in uh, in sharjah in dubai in the united arab emirates i never knew that um so i, I was born there i lived there for the first uh, nearly 10 years of my life um and over there you will see you will very blatantly see a huge divide in society right. between arab speakers and generally people from indo-pak and bangladeshi backgrounds mm. there is um there is a, a a huge divide in terms of what area you live in who you hang out with what quality of life you have um a lot of these things uh, it's uh yeah there are like areas like oh yeah this is the asian area and that's like the the Filipino area and this is the Arab area and these kind of things wow. just naturally start building up. Those lines are getting blurred, like mm -hmm. as you, as uh, uh, you know, as as the days go on. But um, back then it was very very clear. And so, whenever I wanted to hang out with a certain group of friends that I or, or certain people that I wanted to make friends with, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was always you know going to that area. But they always saw me in this other area where all the Asians were because that's where my parents lived and so they yeah there was always there was always um 
there was always that that you know that treatment that oh you, you come from that area so you know uh, maybe you should like stick to those people because those are your people um right. so i i noticed that yeah very very young uh, you know when we used to go to the park some some people that i used to have i thought i had a really good relationship with at school um but then when i saw them at the park um they were with their own group of friends um typically arab speaking because i was i was arab speaking so i was wanting to speak to other arab speaking people at school mm-hmm. and so when i wanted to hang out with them outside of school going out know, the park or whatever i often used to get shunned because i was like this pakistani looking kid who happens to speak arabic what are you doing here like don't you know go and hang out with your pakistani friends wow. um so like a very very young age probably like yeah seven eight is when i really noticed you know something's off wow okay and then has that i know you mentioned it happens to this day you know how recently has that happened um well it hasn't happened during lockdown <laughs> yeah i mean you haven't left the house <laughs> probably <laughs> we're, we're talking about a year and a half of lockdown i suppose but uh, or a year of lockdown um last time it happened i would say about a year and a half ago okay yeah about a year and a half ago it's really yeah it was it was a bit of a weird moment where it was i was ordering food at a takeaway and um uh, uh the people who were who were working at this takeaway uh the 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 arabs um and n- naturally when i hear arab folks i you know i like to speak to them arabic it's not i don't get to speak arabic all the time i speak it with my mom sometimes with my children uh, rarely with my children which is something i need to fix hmm. um um, but you know, generally speaking, you know, some cousins that I speak to, but my mum is basically the main person I speak Arabic to. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy talking in Arabic with other people. Um, so when I I went into this takeaway and I started asking about the food and I asked about, um, you know, uh, uh, can I put have this topping and things like that. But I generally started a conversation with them, um, and they just really really insisted on speaking to me in, in in english and i was like in in the end i i kept saying i thought maybe he, this person was just assuming that i knew a few arab words and i was just trying to you know um practice. jog up a little con- yeah. conversation or practice or something like that mm. but i eventually started using some advanced words i was talking like in slang uh just so he gets the hint like talk to me in arabic please yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of you know just to get just to get it going but um i don't know if he didn't take a hint but um i i gave him lots of chances um and uh i think his his uh, colleague he started sort of looking at him weird because i think he clocked on to what i was feeling and what this colleague was doing um so he i could see his face change but this the guy who's serving me his yeah he i don't think he just kept kept saying it in english and then in the end i was like uh yeah uh what do do you not think i can speak arabic do you not want to speak arabic with me yeah is that are you are you really going to force me to speak to you in english i said it to him in arabic and then in the end he was like oh you speak arabic what and uh, kind of just left it there, um, oh. which was very like good. That was a bit, that was a bit a, of a weird experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they just left it there, handed me my food, and said "Ma'as salama." So, so wow. uh, I yeah, it was just a very, very awkward 
encounter. But yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have to <laughs> that you regularly. It was fun. Yeah, no, it was. It was. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was. It was. It was annoying, but it was also. Yeah, you think back at it, and it's just a little bit funny, to be honest. Yeah. Nah. So, just um, going back to kind of your upbringing. So, you were in Dubai, and then. What was the transition over? When did you come to the UK? What was that process like? So, uh, from Dubai, I didn't come. I didn't come to the UK straight away. I okay. went and lived in Pakistan for for two years. Okay. Um, and uh, that was mainly because my father retired. Um, okay. The minute that you retire and you don't have a job in Dubai, basically, you've got to pack your home and your life and everything up as quickly as as possible. And basically leave the country or you're jailed <laughs> so oh my uh yeah yeah so you, you kind of have to sort of um uh you know really move uh quickly so we yeah uh, we didn't have that many other options apart from pakistan um where my dad had lots of other family i had um uh half brothers and sisters okay so we all basically went and lived there um for two years um, which was actually, yeah, yeah, it was very, very interesting place uh, to live. I learned a lot of Urdu there. I learned to read and write Urdu there. Okay. Um, and uh, generally got to practice my Urdu. Uh, I mean, Urdu, I, I spoke uh, at home with with the parents anyway. I still do. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah, in Pakistan, I really got to sharpen it, which was which was really really exciting, and got mm. to like experience real food hmm. um and yeah all sorts of real uh, it was it was quite an interesting experience it was actually like it was good but mostly my memories of pakistan unfortunately have been quite bad I, yeah you know, i when i went to see my dad a few years ago about four years ago um yeah so it almost like solidified exactly why i didn't like i didn't like going back there i didn't oh, like no. it back then and I, I didn't like it again um but yeah, it was just a yeah, bit of a weird, bit of a weird experience. But um, yeah, but two years I was in uh, I was in uh, Pakistan, and then after that, uh, my mother and I uh, we moved um, to the UK. Wow! So that was in two thousand and two. So what was that like? Um, that that was. So my mother and I basically we 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 came to the UK as asylum seekers. Okay. Um, due to problems at home and things like that, back in Pakistan, we um, we essentially yeah uh, came in as asylum seekers, and um, it it was it was quite it was quite weird uh, to to be in that whole system and in that process. Mm, um, and it was yeah we I mean, we got ferried around the country quite a bit. Actually, I guess that was that was quite an interesting part of of the of my whole journey when it started in the uk um yeah i lived in leeds in sheffield briefly in manchester in birmingham in kent and then finally settled in um in a, a city called newport next to cardiff okay so kind of visited the whole country got to to pick up interesting people meet interesting people interesting yeah, yeah. accents and all sorts of things and so got a real overview of what what the uk was like yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the, to go and sit settle down in 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 um in wales actually it was it was it was quite incredible uh you know, i just felt i think for the f 
for the first time in my life at that point, I I had felt like finally I'm off off a treadmill. That I was running, um, you know, in the in the in the initial part of my life. It was yeah, it was good. I thought. Wow, that's a that's a hell of a travel journey, man. A hell of a story. <laughs> so um, I guess you know. So you experienced authentic. I mean, yeah, I guess it was authentic. I don't know how to say that about Dubai. No offense, but authentic <laughs> Arab culture, and then you uh-huh. uprooted entirely, and had authentic Pakistani culture. So what was what was the transition like? What was the the overall feelings in terms of um, you know how you adapted to that change? So, I mean, when I look at it now, mm. I I didn't think I got to truly experience arab culture over in dubai main reason being i mean if you imagine the united arab emirates population mm-hmm. that's seven eight maybe nine million people right mm-hmm. about a million of that are locals right all right and maybe uh-huh. another million or two are other non-gulf country folks so right. other um, like uh, Arabian, but non-Gulf Arabian. I see, I see. And the rest is Indian, Pakistani, Bengali, Filipino, uh, and typically uh, people from those countries, from those mm-hmm. backgrounds. And so when you really uh, get to hang out with, when you really get to see life there, you see more of us, I'll be honest with you. Mm. Yeah. Um, but with that, with like the, you know, speaking Arabic and things like that, it does sort of, give you an insight into the, this other side of life um over there um but really i mean i um i think in terms of um being in an arabian country i, I don't think i truly truly experienced it mm-hmm. but i did get to see things like um you know the masjids there there's just a different atmosphere to to masjids in pakistan mm-hmm. Um, generally, I thought like Ramadan, Eid, uh, a lot of these, they they definitely had like an Arab spin uh, okay. in in Dubai, whereas it was it felt very different in 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 Karachi in Pakistan. And I guess you get like the well, actually, the the, the thing that stands out to me the most in in Dubai, even up to, up until now, is um, is shawarma. Man, okay. I have not tasted good shawarma anywhere else <laughs> except in Dubai. <laughs> okay, so that that that's from my childhood. That's a that's a that's a real sweet memory. Oh, um, but um, but yeah, I mean, being up uprooted from there, life was was different there. But um, and I I think I I felt more more free mm-hmm. as a child over there. But in Pakistan, it was. Um, yeah, it just it had other challenges, but it also had its own interesting freedoms. But I definitely felt more free in Dubai, that's for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers. Yeah, I think that answers. No, your no, question. it does. It does. It does. So, um, in terms of like, because obviously having the split from one parent being one and the other, is there anything you can pinpoint in their own, I guess, behavior or morals that you picked up on that you would associate to their own culture? I suppose. I mean, I suppose. I mean, my my dad was a uh, uh, is a, a typical typical Pakistani dad. Okay. 
um I, yeah yeah i guess so it's like it's yeah hard to impress um impossible to impress and, right yeah impossible to impress yeah, yeah. yes impossible to impress <laughs> actually uh, alhamdulillah it's, it, he's improved vastly i suppose yes um uh, i think i think he finally realized that i can do it alhamdulillah which is oh, that's good <laughs> which uh, which was the struggle i guess um yeah i mean in terms yeah in terms of what my dad was like he, yeah he was he was very hard to impress very very stiff upper lip sort of person mm-hmm. and uh i'll be honest with you he was he was also very hard working so he wasn't around a huge amount mm-hmm. he was always at work there was always something for him to do at work and so I guess he had a he had a very very strong work ethic. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I definitely have in me like I'm a bit of a workaholic. Yeah. Um and that's something that I've definitely inherited from him. And from my mom's side, I think I've I'm a I'm a bit too relaxed, a bit too late. I think I drive my wife up the wall about <laughs> with like with with how relaxed I actually am. Mm. Um yeah. So that's probably what I've inherited from my mom. Is that an Arab thing being relaxed? Uh, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. Arabs are fairly are fairly chilled when things want things to be chill. Okay. Um yeah, when they just want to relax, yani with some shy and just sort of take it easy and talk for hours. Yeah. Arabs are masters of that. But the minute things start going a little bit off you know, off plan, off script, yeah, and the, uh, you will hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone starts panicking, eh? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, in okay, so um, one thing, and you have the you have the beauty of being trilingual. At least, do you know any more languages? Uh, I use I used to speak French fluently, but I don't anymore. Like no, I, no, I can't even have a proper conversation in it anymore. But oh, yeah, I used to. <laughs> how did you learn French? Uh, school uh, in Dubai. It was a mandatory language in my school, the school that I went to. Wow! So you were quadlingual at one point. Oh, yeah. When did you learn English? Uh, English I learned in Dubai as well. Oh, okay. Did they have but, an American accent? No, no. I, I I used to I used to talk with like you know, my you could hear my T's. I used to talk proper fresh, my man. Really? <laughs> yeah. I still can. I still can, but you know, you turn it up I'm and down depending. Uh, when you want to, you can make it happen. You know? <laughs> See, I can't do that accent, you know. And people always ask me, "Why can't you do a fresh accent?" And I never can turn it on. But that was, I tell you, that was top-notch Virgin Media. That was great. Virgin. <laughs> Yeah, man, I could, I could, if I ever, if I want to ever this software engineering thing, I actually, yeah, wait a minute, I say, I say software engineering thing doesn't work out. You'll probably hear this accent more here than you would um, anywhere else as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, if, if software engineering doesn't work out for me, I know, I know there's a place for me in a call center somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the thing I wanted to talk to you about is the part of the, of the show where we do the one word. So for those people that haven't heard before, uh, we ask guests to tell us one word from either of their native languages or any of their native languages that maybe doesn't have a direct translation or is something interesting that 
we may not have heard before. So, my brother Ahmed, do you have a word for us today? Um, so I haven't got one in Urdu, okay, uh, but I do have one in in Arabic, and this is a word that I I absolutely love using. There isn't a there is kind of an explanation for it. I mean, you can you can uh, explain it, but there isn't a direct translation to it. Okay. Um, and this word is Naiman. Um, and the context that you would use Naiman in is basically when you see some someone looking good or they've just freshened up, just come from a haircut or they have, you know, brushed up really well mm-hmm. and, 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 they, and they look good you say Naiman, or if they're experiencing something good and you see that they're happy, um, you say Naiman. Um, you know, uh, it, it comes from like Naima, which is bl- okay. blessing. blessing. So look, yeah, looking yeah, yeah. blessed, basically. No, if, you see, if you want to see someone, yeah, mashallah, you're looking blessed, you say Naiman. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's one of my favorite Arabic words. Oh man, I love that. So would you use it in a sentence or is it just one, like one of those one-off words? You you say that yeah you say yeah it's a it's it's a it's a sentence and a word all in one. <laughs> I see I see I see. Oh man, that's beautiful. Naiman. Naiman. I'm gonna get the the non-Arab speakers to try and copy that one afterwards with the Good word. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You simply give a smile. You say no. You do a nod. You say Naiman. That's it. That's the way to do it. Oh man, I love that. So in terms of um, your Arab speaking, so you mentioned you don't speak it that much. Is it hard for you to maintain the the vocab and Main... the linguistic skills or not? Um, the thing is, at, at one point, I did feel like I was I was slowly losing it. Mm-hmm. But when I became conscious of that, I started I started talking to my mom and my cousins more in Arabic. Right. Well, actually, my mom I've always spoken to in Arabic. Um, but my, my cousins, I started speaking to them more. And when, especially when I moved to London, um, I, lived, I moved to London all by myself. So I used to speak to my mom on the phone, but like the rest of the time, I'm obviously speaking to non-Arabs basically, you know, the whole, the whole time. So yeah, I just yeah, felt yeah. like in the first few months, I was just like beginning to lose, um, certain words or yeah, I couldn't, couldn't say certain things. And I was like, what is going on? This like. This is my mother tongue. I should not be losing it. So, yeah, I did. And then for your children, you said you're trying. How's that going? That's tough. Mm. Yeah, especially because it, this is it, a tough one. And, and, you know, my mom actually says, you, know, you should always speak to her in Arabic or you should always speak to them in Arabic. She tells me to speak to my wife in Arabic. <laughs> and my wife tells me the same thing. But sometimes it's just a lot easier to tell them to stop destroying the house in English and they just get it, man. They stop. <laughs> yeah, sometimes Arabic's too poetic, I find, you know. <laughs> it's either too, too poetic nice. or... I mean, it sounds nice when you say it nicely, but like when you're trying to stop somebody, you know, wagifi. It just sounds like I'm like I'm really having a go at her, but I'm like politely telling her, I need just can you just stop it, please? Just leave it, leave that, please." But it just sound I don't know why. Just but you know, the minute that you s- just raise your voice just a little bit, just because someone's on the other side of the room, you sound like you're about to murder someone. Uh, <laughs> and it always comes out from my mouth like this. I don't know why people just think I'm getting 
real angry and I'm just telling them that I love them or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's with Arabic is you use every part of your mouth. That's what it is. Mm, you use yeah. all the articulation points. Whereas in English, you just use a little bit of your tongue and that's it. Your teeth a little bit. But in Arabic, yeah, yeah you're full on every ah and kha and everything, you know? Yeah. And then the hand gestures that oh, okay. sort of, yeah, they make it, they make it bigger. They make the message bigger. <laughs> so are you going to be upset if wait hold on so does, does your wife speak Arabic too or not I'm trying to get her to speak Arabic okay uh, yeah so I am I am teaching her like How? we can we can have a conversation about food and when I'm going to be off the off the off the laptop basically off work we can have that little small conversation in Arabic like beginning to end oh that's great man <laughs> so I got the important stuff covered there I mean, yeah, f <laughs> when food is ready. <laughs> or what I want to eat, or whether we want to go out to eat. Yeah, yeah, there's a bit of variation in the conversation. So it's good. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's enough. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, when I first got married, I, um, I was learning Arabic then, as you know. And um, I was like getting, I was, I'd probably say I was like my most proficient when we met. And um, okay. I was, you know, I was trying to be you know, kind of trying to speak it as much as I could, trying to introduce it in my uh, common speech with anyone who could speak Arab, kind of like you said at the takeaway. And I was that guy where they'd look at me and be like, this guy's trying to learn, trying to learn Arabic, just using us as some, some pets where we're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to uh, converse back to him every time he wants. But um, I was that guy and I, everywhere I could, I was trying to. So when I first got married and also my wife, um, she can only speak English. I was trying to speak to her in Arabic all the time. And, Obviously, she didn't understand, but kind of like it was interesting to see because kind of like how a baby eventually picks up what it is you're trying to say. You can just make, you know, hand gestures and point to things and say things. And she was starting to get um, recollection and starting to remember. And it was a point, honestly, where it was kind of like if I spoke to her about food at all, she would know exactly what I was talking about. If I wanted tea or she asked me if I want tea or coffee, I can reply, can I have tea, please, in Arabic? And she was like, understand it all. So it got really good. And I remember like, um, it was when I was still living with my mum. It was really good. And then one day I just stopped and I never ever started again. And now my Arabic, I don't speak to anyone at all in Arabic ever. Um, my only friend, I had one friend who was Arab speaking before and I don't speak to him ever anymore. And if he's listening to this, you know who you are. Um, and other than that, I don't really have anyone to speak to. So I've really, really lost it now. And I can barely remember any words. My vocab is awful. And it's sad, man. I'm heartbroken. So, like, when I get the opportunity to even say a few words, I now feel nervous to even try because mm. I've lost it and I don't feel comfortable. Before, I used to go to the butchers, and my butchers are Moroccan. So, you know, they've got that weird French mixture. Yeah. That's what you call the hodgepodge. They've got the whole... <laughs> you know, colonial vibe mixed with the Arab vibe. They don't really know what they want to say, whether it's bonjour, whether it's habibi, do you know what I mean? So yeah. they, uh, sorry to my Moroccan brothers out there and sisters, but you guys, yeah, Algerians and Moroccans have their own vibes going on when it comes to Arab speaking. And uh, I used to go in there and, you know, habibi, and they used to be like, you okay, Akhi, what's going on? And I used to be like, you know, what are you doing? in Arabic and they'd always reply in English kind of like you did and I was mm -hmm. like come on man entertain me please and then they would try and do it and then I have no idea what they're saying because <laughs> whatever they replied was the mixture of all of their things and I was like oh man 
And then I just ended up forgetting. And now I'm at the point where I don't even have the confidence to mess around like that because I feel like the words words are gone. So no man, you just got to stay on top of that. Like, call me anytime, man. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you anytime yeah. now. I just be like, listen, <laughs> we're going to speak Arabic for the rest of the conversation. Cool. I like that. I like the sound of that. Cool, man. So I want to speak about where we met and the mm-hmm. beautiful experience that was Hajj. So giving a bit of a precursor in terms of Hajj and, um, and what it's about is it is the one of the pillars of the Islamic faith. And uh, they are classically known as five pillars of Islam. For those that didn't do religious studies at GCSE, um, you know who you are. Um, and they are <laughs> they are prayer, so praying five times a day. There is giving charity. There is uh, believing in one God and uh, believing that the Prophet Muhammad was his messenger, peace be upon him. Um, there is fasting in the month of Ramadan for 30 days or 29 days. And the final one is performing the pilgrimage of Hajj. So the pilgrimage of Hajj is very important to all Muslims. There's a a very, very strong onus upon Muslims to do it in their lifetimes if they can afford it, if they're within good health and they have the facilities and abilities to do so. So um, given an example, my grandfather, my mom's dad, uh, when he was in his younger years from Bangladesh, they had no planes. There was no ability to fly. So they took a ship. And it took them three months to get from Bangladesh. I don't really know why it took three months. I feel like that's a bit of a long ship journey. But yeah, it took man. them three months to get from uh, Bangladesh to Saudi. And that's crazy. That took them three months to do that journey. Then they got there. Then they did their pilgrimage. And I remember complaining because the flight was like seven hours. And I was like, man, this flight is so long. Like, you know, like I'm a bit uncomfortable. I'm thinking they were on a boat, man. They were on a boat just out in the waves. And anyway, so I digress. So that journey, that that pilgrimage is very, very special to any Muslim. And I was actually talking to my wife about it today because I knew I had this episode with you today. And it's it's honestly for, for many, many people a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's very expensive now. And um, the commercialization of it, unfortunately, has led to its prices being increased. But sure. it honestly is, for me personally, the most incredible experience of my life. There is something I cannot replace in my heart with Hajj because of how how memorable, how special, how uplifting and how uh, how enlightening I think the whole process was for me. I definitely left the UK as one person and came back as somebody else. And, for sure, for sure. And yeah, just if if you don't mind, Ahmed, you know, uh, tell us about tell us about you in terms of your, of course, being Muslim as well. Um, if that wasn't clear um, before, tell us about your experience, um, not only of Hajj of being Muslim. You know, what's that like for you? How has your transition through your journeys throughout your life affected that? And and you know, and then if we if we can, then go on to Hajj and talk about what that was like for you. Okay, inshallah. So. In terms of being a Muslim, I think, um, I mean, I definitely, when I moved to the UK, I definitely felt, so I moved to the UK when I was 11, 12, probably, like, uh, yeah, 11, 12, something like that. Uh, and I think at that point was when I, I really started to understand that I've taken the fact that I was born a Muslim, lived in a Muslim country, uh, to Muslim parents, and things like that. I took that, those things 
for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, just simple things like finding halal food. Yeah. Uh, you know, the minute that you're like, oh my God, what, what are E numbers? What's what, this halal? What, <laughs> what's wrong with this one? No, why can't I eat this one? Oh, maybe this was cooked in the same oil or oh, what? You just never had to think about any of this stuff yeah. when you're in an Arab country. Um, secondly, um, you know, uh, being able to pray anywhere, like it, I was obviously conscious that people would start looking weird at me. They would start, uh, they did start, they did look weirdly at me. They did, um, you know, make comments. They did uh, uh, say things and things like that. So like I did become very aware of how much I took basically my life um, before moving to the UK for granted as, as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the UK, when I, when I was in there, when I started going to school um, and then even after school at university and job and starting work and things like that, I actually felt incredibly blessed as well. Mm-hmm. So at, at school, don't get me wrong, I faced a lot of bullying and I faced a lot of um, a lot of racism from certain individuals or certain groups mm-hmm. um, whilst I was school. But I think the blessing part of that is that I I managed I managed to make a really good I managed to meet a really good group of friends, and this group of friends um, like to this to this day I mean I, I I was just talking to 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 my wife about about them yesterday as well. Um, as I was prepping for the, for, for our chat today. And like, uh, I've, I've, the reason why I feel blessed is that they've always defended me. They've always like stood up for me at, at school, you know, whatever I was going through, I always mm. felt like I was not going through that alone. And they stood by me every, every step of the way. I think they just, they genuine, genuinely made like my school experience a hundred times better mm. and just you know and i'm still in touch with them and i still you know stay up to date with their lives they're still all the all of them they live in newport in in wales um so I, I tried to stay in touch with them as much as i possibly can but i think that was a very big contrast from a lot of the other stories that i've heard from over the over the years about mm. about f- other friends who come from similar backgrounds to me or if not similar backgrounds but essentially um, non-British backgrounds um, that went to primarily white schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I was out of a school of like two thousand. I, I was like uh, one of five brown kids, and wow. there was two other black kids. That's it. Damn. Um, so it was it was a very 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 white dominated school, um, and so uh, but this group of friends really made the whole thing bearable. Like I. Uh, I almost like think back to those days fondly kind of um, uh, that, that, that was a really, really good um, sort of first experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after school, I started my, uh, I started my first job, my first proper job. I had a few jobs um, uh, whilst I was at school as well. Unfortunately, not very great experiences uh, work, working for <laughs> Asian business vet, isn't it? Um, <laughs> when, yeah, no, not a good experience. Uh, um, but after that, I mean, I, I uh, after I finished school, I um, started university. And while I was at university, I, I got got a job um, at game, uh, the you know the video game store. Oh, 
Um, And there I actually experienced working life for the first time. Mm -hmm. And again, it was a very similar experience to what I experienced at school. I, I, I made, I felt like I made a really good group of friends um, who are also colleagues. Mm -hmm. They're super understanding, super supportive. They, yeah, they, you know, whenever, whenever anyone said anything, you know, vaguely racist at, at work, uh, like as I was serving, you know, all sorts of people, um, they always, always stood up for me. Um, they were very accommodating in terms of praying solar just downstairs in the stock room. Um, sometimes they were curious. They just wanted to see, you know, what, what the actions are, what I said and things like that. So like one or two of them even like sort of sat right, right up to like really next to the Musallah, next to the prayer mat. Uh, and they sort of just watched the actions. Though I was, a, it was a bit of a weird, but also quite a cool experience. It's like someone's interested in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in Islam, or at least interested in seeing what we're doing. What is it that we do in our mosques, and uh, what is it that we do, in, you know, uh, um, at home and whatever. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but the fact is that I was able to pray just downstairs in the stockroom. Um, uh, you know, it it takes like less than five minutes or five minutes if mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, if, you know, if, uh, and really they were okay with me just sort of taking that very short break for prayers and sort of getting back to work. And you know, in in the evening hour, uh, in sorry, in the winter days, obviously prayer times come more often mm-hmm. versus summer. And so I ended up having to take multiple breaks. I made up the time, but they were the fact is that they were accommodating, that they were very easy going about that. Yeah. And they're like, okay, if you make up for it, that's fair enough. That's cool. Um, it's not like I'm taking, uh, taking the mic or like you know, uh, chilling out or whatever. Uh, they understood that this was something I needed to do, and as soon as I did it, that's it. I was back on work, and you know, alhamdulillah, I gave it my, uh, my full. So I guess they they all, they were very accommodating. Very, it was it was a very nice nice thing to see. It was very mm-hmm. different from all the ex- other experiences that I've heard from other family members about you know, work being difficult and whenever you want to do anything, you know, vaguely Islamic, they start getting weird or whatever. I never yeah. experienced that at, yeah, um, yeah. at majority of the workplaces that I worked after that. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And you you do hear and experience some, in you know, bigger companies, you do hear, you hear and experience some things, but it is so, for, actually for me, like I'm, I understand, especially listening to the um, other guests that you've had who've, who've probably not had um, uh, to be honest, I've had it easy. I've not had, you know, a lot of uh, your guests did not have a very easy time in, in certain workplaces, but I think I was quite blessed um, to to have experienced, you know, very, very little um, racism um, or anything that I felt was was hindering sort of my career path. Mm. Um, in, 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 yeah, there, there was very, very little there was some that was incredibly small amounts and um yeah it was a very different experience for me i'd say oh that's uh that's really nice to hear man it's always good to have a a positive story on that side because ultimately you know one of the i guess one of the reasons why and the drivers behind me wanted to do a podcast like this was to highlight these issues and to highlight to Mm -hmm. people who may not you know that we're the we're ethnic minority for a reason because we are the minority and mm-hmm. I guess to the majority, I want everyone else to hear our story and to be able to see the lens of a, a Muslim 
the lens of a Nigerian, of a Ghanaian, of whatever else, you know, the people I've had on here, giving them that scope and that lens to be able to view that world and to see what it's like through their eyes. And, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, people have had negative and you've definitely, by the sounds of it, also had negative, but to hear the the positive outcome and the positive uh, experiences and people almost reinforcing that belief in you to say, yeah, go on, go out there and do what you need to do, man. And we're going to support you. And mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, even the people that were sitting next to you and watching you pray, like, that's amazing. That's for me. That's, I've never had anything like that. People, they'll ask, make a comment because I go into my drawer and I get the prayer mat out and, mm -hmm. you know, they're like, oh, okay, prayer time. Yeah. And that's it. You know, or, you know, oh, how come you have to pray so often, so often this, like these days? Or, oh, can't, mm -hmm. you, can't you see the sun setting? Don't you need to go, mate? Stuff like that. But Exactly, exactly. Whereas yeah. you're getting the positive experience, I think really uh, it's heartwarming, to say the least, because, um, yeah, sometimes you need those, you know. I think often um, here, kind of in the UK, we're so... Uh, globalized where we're able to absorb the news from all over the world so quickly and so effortlessly where you know there's always negativity every single day there's negativity and for me i was mm -hmm. even saying to my colleague the other day um you know we need more good stories and you're the first person probably i've ever spoken to to have you know a positive outcome in the work life when it comes to this kind of stuff because it's tough out here man we're you know i I've had a lot of negative experiences. I've had a few positive ones, but the others definitely overshadow them. Mm -hmm. so, so going back to the to the racism side that you mentioned, um, what was that predominantly like for you throughout your life? What what would you say, you know, were the key racist uh, tropes or, you know, jibes you were getting from people? What is it that you found more? Or was it, you know, a mixture of things? It was it was it was quite a broad mixture. I mean, I guess when it came to the racism part, I guess from when from my time in Dubai when I was very young, I, I sort of I experienced a very different type of racism. Where mm -hmm. I, I guess when it I, uh, in contrast, if you sort of compare it to what I experienced in the UK, in the UK, um, I was okay. I, I acknowledge I am brown. I'm basically a foreigner mm -hmm. who has moved into the UK. So I get why they are, uh, why these certain individuals are against me. I get that. But in Dubai, it was a huge, it was, it was a bit of a blow because I was like, well, wait a minute, the Pakistani lot don't really expect, ac accept me, but I am Pakistani. Mm -hmm. So what's going on? And the Arab lot didn't accept me because, uh, because, you know, because I, I was Pakistani and, um, uh, and you know, I've I definitely at the time also ad identified as as Arab. So I was like, wait a minute, these the Arabs aren't accepting my Arab part, and the Pakistanis aren't accepting my Pakistani part. So what am I? Mm -hmm. So that is it was a bit more of a um, uh, and uh, sort of an exist existential kind of argument that I was having as a child. Um, but in the UK, it was that the the, the the that stuff was a bit more clear cut. So I, I understood what what was going on. I you know it was a lot simpler than what what I experienced already. So I was like, okay, cool, I get it. Like you, you guys don't like me because I'm brown. Fine, whatever. Say what you're saying <laughs> and let me go on about my day. Yeah. So I guess I, I I felt like maybe I grew a bit of a thicker skin from my previous experience, and now the racist part 
it's sort of it, it bothers me oh like why do you really need to say it um rather than it sort of boils my blood and sort of makes me makes me want to uh like either fight them or, or or say something back like i just i just feel like i love i would love to say honestly mate i've heard worse just you know blow air somewhere else yeah um and that's sort of i guess i have a very different way of of dealing with that um in in the uk for sure um i mean the the there were other other instances as well like i mean at work uh it was a few years ago actually um i was working uh i was working in a in a very small startup and um the 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 guy basically uh, i don't know why he thought that he needed to push on a particular point which was uh you know he hired uh, uh someone else to basically help me on the on the on the on the tech side right um and uh he insisted on finding a a, a brown guy of of pakistani background cuz uh, apparently that's that is exactly what will make me and him or me and this individual whoever they may be um um uh, gel better because you know we have similar backgrounds <laughs> and and somehow he thought like because because of that we'll just end up working together and sort of churning the code out like lightning right um and when i interviewed the guys like i i i don't want to work with this guy dude don't make me work with him because honestly this team's going to break down i don't want to work with this guy cuz i do not i did not like what i heard at the interview mm-hmm. and then he was like no 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 it'll be fine and and then he hired him and eventually when we realized that things were actually you know burning uh and didn't you know we definitely didn't want to bring this guy on and you know this guy was toxic um when i eventually broke down as to why the original hire happened i realized this guy eventually the the hiring uh, the guy who did the hiring sort of let out that oh i just thought that you two would have you know you two are the same you would have gotten on right and i was like excuse me so your hiring decision was because i'm a bit brown and he's a bit brown and therefore we will we will ha- have a party nah Wow, so that's like crazy man but to be honest with you that's probably at the worst end so like i said to you i i've been incredibly uh, blessed that mm. i've not experienced anything anything that much worse than this I and mean, they were in the same startup there were some a different guy who um, who treated me different but i think he was i don't think that was purely down to racism i think he just had issues um and he did not yeah i, I think he just generally just didn't like me i don't think it was because of of any you know inherent racism or anything like that but um that is probably one of the worst one of the worst experiences of a pad of them okay. which is yeah it's pretty much nothing really when you think back to it no but that's it's, it's a good thing isn't it i think you know we need to we need to embrace these these benefits Absolutely. of getting this far in life and not having had that so um <laughs> Alhamdulillah, yeah, of course, man. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna take it back to a bit of the the cultural side again, and cool. I want to touch upon some food because you know we are the cooking experts. We're basically like MasterChef <laughs> because of yeah, the amount man. of YouTube we've watched, we can cook any any food on the planet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, man. We've just absorbed all of the, the kick cooking skills of Gordon Ramsay. We might as well be Gordon Ramsay. 
I basically am. Or, I basically am. Yeah, we, we basically got it with the Arab versions. Gordon uh, <laughs> Ramsay. Gordon <laughs> Ramsay. This is this is us. So listen, Gordon, if you're listening to this, because I'm sure you're probably you're you know a regular subscriber to Made It Mercer's podcast, I want you uh-huh. to know watch your back because me and Ahmed are coming for you. <laughs> so I want to touch upon a bit of the cuisine because cool. um, I'm quite familiar with Pakistani cuisine. And um, we were fortunate enough to have a Pakistani guest. So, you, you know, feel free to elaborate as much as you want to on Pakistani food. But also, I want to hear about uh, Yemeni food and what Arab food, I guess, if Arab food is different because Yemen might be, you know, just a regional or like if it's similar. Tell me about that. What's that like? So, actually, I mean, uh, um, in Yemen, there was... So in terms of actual Yemeni food, like traditional Yemeni food, mm. is I actually got to experience very little. Okay. Um, mainly because my mom also, I mean, she introduced me and even my, my aunts and things like that with my cousins. They did introduce them to some uh, traditional Yemeni things, but mostly because their mother, my my gidda, my, uh, my nanny, she... Um, she was also Indian, so okay. I have uh, we've experienced a lot of Indian food, a lot of Pakistani food as well. Um, but like th- there are some things like um, in uh, one of my favorite Yemeni dishes is uh, something called lahm sagar. Okay. Um, basically, it's uh, meat meat that is cut or la- lamb, sometimes beef, but it's uh, it's often lamb lamb cut really small and if you if you uh translate lahm sagar is small meat small meat you know basically small cut meat um and essentially it is it is like a like a curry it's like a silent and um and you just you just have it with with either bread um uh, or something called khamir so khamir is i wouldn't say it's traditionally yemeni but the Yemenis, I feel, know how to eat it best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, essentially, it is it is uh, it is deep fried, uh, flat dough. You think of it as like normal um, normal bread dough, but it is more sticky. So when you deep fry it, it actually puffs up. Okay. Um, but but it's also sweet, and it's something that you have uh, for breakfast. And like I I dream of this most days, to be honest. Like if you give me <laughs> If you give me khamir every morning, I'll be a happy, happy man. Um, although not advised, I don't think I'd live very long. <laughs> <laughs> the diabetes will kick in very young. Exactly. Especially because it's a sweet thing. Okay. And you dip it with sweet tea. Like this is the typical, the stereotypical Arab thing. Like the tea's got to be sweet and what you're eating with the tea's got to be sweet. Um, and, you know, but um, essentially, yeah. But so uh, I was, I was, um, I was mentioning the lahm zaghar. You could basically have it any time of the day. Often people, or at least in, in my house, we, we ate lahm zaghar in the morning. Okay. So it's a bit, it's like a breakfast curry, which makes no sense, I'm sure, but uh, I swear to you, it's so nice. <laughs> but then you take the curry and they take the sweet bread and you eat it together, which uh, it blew my wife's mind when I told her about this. Uh, actually, it blows most people's mind when I tell them about this. My mind but is blown right now. 
uh, bro, inshallah, let's let's get through this COVID crap and then we're going to experience this together. Oh, yeah, I'm waiting for that laham <laughs> sagar. Exactly, laham sagar with khamir <laughs> and shai. <laughs> inshallah, that's nice. I'm looking for the laham akbar though. Laham kabir. Yeah, laham kabir. Laham akbar is like the biggest meat. <laughs> you just want, want a whole cow there, don't you? I just, want the, I just want the sheep on my plate. That's what I'm talking about. Nah, see, there's my Arab rustiness coming through. Sorry, I was making an Arab joke, guys. If you're listening, I'm really sorry. We just had to take a little That's Arab cool. tangent there for the guests. But... Uh, you were just going back to all the food that we were having at Hajj because often in these hotels they did give us whole, whole, uh, you know, um, sheep on a plate oh that people God. used to take from. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. I remember <laughs> once, right? We were in Mina, and I'll never forget this, right? We were in Mina, and uh, they used to give, like, you know, when you order, obviously, you know, because you were there, but when you order the big like a takeaway box. So it's almost like mm. a square-shaped, not like the small Indian biryani boxes, but like a square-shaped one, a lot bigger. And they used to give us one of those, right? And it was, I'd say, probably 15 centimetres by 15 and full to the absolute brim with rice and some kind of meat. So I remember mm. one day I opened it and they used to say you can share one between two because it's that big. And we often did that. And I remember we used to go give the food to like the, the poor, poorer um, pilgrims because they often didn't mm -hmm. have anything. But I remember right. opening this box, right? And I looked in it and the meat was brown. But it wasn't in a shape of any meat that I'd recognized before. It was a whole, it was like a, like the shoulder of a lamb or something. My mouth is mm. watering like absolute mad right now. Yeah. I'm going to have to gulp. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and everyone, and I was eating it, right? And everyone was convinced that it was camel. <laughs> See, I've never had camel before, so I wouldn't know, right? But I was eating it and I was like, this is absolutely delicious. And it was like falling off the bone. And I was like, what is this? And everyone was like, oh, it's camel, it's camel. So I thought, there's only one person that's going to know. And that was the leader of the group. Do you remember Abu Hanifa? Yes, I do. <laughs> Sheikh Abu Hanifa. And he was, I don't actually know where he's from, yeah? That's really bad that I don't. But I asked him, I was like, Sheikh, is this camel? And he was like, no, man, it's not camel, it's sheep. And I was like, oh, okay. Because everyone was going nuts. And I felt so excited. I was like, oh, my God, it's my first experience of eating camel. I'm a true Arab now. That's it. You know what I mean? And really, I was just there just eating some sheep. And it was probably some old sheep because it was a massive piece. Like, it's fully yeah. grown mountain sheep. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so a bit of a digression. But I didn't get to eat camel that day. And to this day, I still haven't eaten camel. So if you know anywhere I can get some good camel, I'd be very appreciative. Well, it's camel uh, I, think nice. I, I think I know a place. Camel is salty. Is it? It is very, it is very salty. You like, you would need to gulp lots of water afterwards after you eat it. But it is delicious. It is, if you cook it right and you cook it with its fat, it is really, really delicious. Wow, I didn't realize it would be salty. That's interesting. Mm. So, what do you eat um, it with? I think halal meat. I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's quite a few branches here in London. Um, they I've seen them sell camel meat. When I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, cool. Someday when I learn how to make it. <laughs> Gordon's not going to know anytime soon, is he? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, Gordon's still trying to do the Far East. I think he needs to come over to the Arab side and start doing some of these yeah, dishes. Um, exactly. Have you seen the film Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker? Yes. 
You know, there's a scene, yeah, where they're getting food and the woman says to him, it's camel hump. And he's like, camel hump? And he's there and he's just eating camel hump with chopsticks. This scene forever lives in my mind, rent free. <laughs> because I'm always imagining Chris Tucker just eating camel hump. And I'm like, I want to know what that tastes like. I'm so curious. Have you ever had camel hump? Never. But let's experience that, my friend. Uh, do you know what? When we, when we link up, I mean, I'm telling you, we're doing all this. We're going camel hump. <laughs> we're going uh, laham sagar. Was it sagar? Sagar. Sagar. We're doing all of that. I'm telling you because... Everyone else Let's will probably be the then. same. And I feel like these months and years that I've gone by that we've missed out on experiencing flavours, experiencing new right. things, man. Mm. Mm. My mouth is literally salivating. Same. <laughs> this is my favourite segment, though. I'm not going to lie. Every episode, I look forward to this segment because I want to always hear people's unique ones. And, you know, the last few guests, I've had um, some African foods that I've honestly never heard of before. And I'm just like, mm. you know what, guys? I'm doing a road trip. I'm doing one long road trip. As soon as COVID is over and I'm picking up all the guests, I might just get a minibus, a minivan, <laughs> just pick all of you guys up and do the Made in Mercer's tour. And that's it. One oh, stop, next that. stop, next stop. And just go hit all the places because, mm, oh, mashallah. Anyway, so um, we're going to do, we're going to do, I'm going to say this is probably my second favorite slot, but it's something that I think probably gets the most laughs and entertainment from the, from the listening audience here and it's stereotypes so we all know my brother you're already laughing because we all know that every single culture has stereotypes associated to it and whether we like it or not often we don't like it but they're very very accurate and my wife often says to me i do very bengali things i don't even have to question her because i know i do i know i do so uh, when i do my bengali episode listeners just so you guys know there is one coming it's going to be in the works um, I'm going to reveal all because I let the guests do all the talking on these episodes because we want to hear about them. But there will be a Bangladeshi slash Bengali, whatever you want to call it, episode where we're going to go into all of our stereotypes. And believe me, that will, will be one not to miss. But today, I want to do, my brother Ahmed is here. Tell us, have you got some stereotypes for us? I got two this time. Okay. Uh, one for each culture. Mm-hmm. Um, one, the, the first one, uh, I feel it's probably not fair to just just make it a pakistani thing i think it's just a general uh asian thing okay um and i think you you'll you'll also relate to this but we we park like we own the place that we own the roads especially <laughs> at juma time especially at friday prayers yeah 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 Man, we, we own the roads double yellows what i don't see them <laughs> we drive our like our dad our build the roads exactly yeah. and uh you know it's juma time and we've just basically got to quickly park and run off for prayers and we will park just anywhere and then you say it to someone bro you're gonna get a ticket don't park there or it's you know you've parked in a really silly place no one's gonna be able to come out of this car uh come out of this road um and they're like if it's a ticket don't worry it's basically for the sake of allah like let's just do it it's cool you know allah will reward me abundantly for it now mate you're gonna lose 65 quid so just move your car but no like no one no one gets that because everyone's in a chocker block yeah that's it that's definitely i remember where we uh, were well where i grew up um praying Uh, it's just one masjid and it's on such a busy road it's called hatfield road um to all my st albans listeners i've just given away where i'm from that's my first time i ever said that but to all my st albans (laughs) listeners 
um, Hatfield Road, right? There's a mosque on there. There's actually two mosques there, but the one um, that I used to go to is so, so busy. There's like a thousand, it's like a thousand capacity mosque, right? And there's nowhere to park. There's about, I'd say 30 or 40 uh, bays like along the road and they're always busy anyway because it's got shops all the way up and down. And there was this one place that like we used to park and I, I feel guilty for saying this and I'm really sorry if you're listening and you happen to live in this residential area, <laughs> there used to be one road that used to come off St. Paul's place. I'll never forget. Come off at St. Paul's place and there's like a little private estate and these lovely houses, little apartments with a lovely little balcony, new build. You know, these young couples probably living there thinking they're getting the, be getting the best of life. And all of a sudden, Friday 12.30 comes and there's a cohort. There's an absolute, I don't even know what you call them. There's an absolute influx of Asian drivers dressed in all sorts, in every colour under the sun. And you know, like sometimes... Asians definitely, because Arabs, I don't know if they, I don't know if they do, but Asians will come with their wedding attire level, like oh, yeah. I don't know what you call it in uh, in Urdu, but we call it um, fanjabi. What do you guys uh, call it? Like there, the... is, there is there is word for it in Urdu, but I actually don't know it. I know the Arabic word for it, which is what? Which Khamis. is fakhfakha. 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 Basically, it's um, it means uh, basically it's like do it over the top. Yeah, doing yeah. something a bit over the top and yeah it's like the gold glittery all down the chest and then you've got like the long seams down the side and they love it man and they park up and we i'm not gonna lie i did it too and they park up all in st paul's place and there's a massive sign on the entrance residents only private parking please do not park no problem reverse in mm, get a nice bay the first bay st paul's place and then sometimes you used to see people looking out their window thinking what's going on here why is it that this wedding party has just arrived in my back door trying to park? And uh, I'm sorry, St. Paul's Place residents, St. Albans District Council residents, I'm sorry, guys, because we used to bombard that. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely bang on with that. I'll give you that. My second one, mm. uh, and this is more to my um, to my Arab side, and that is when Arabs say, inshallah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and uh, when say when Arabs say, I'm going to do this for you, inshallah, consider it not done. It will never get done. <laughs> it is so sad because obviously say, inshallah, if God wills it, basically, mm. uh, it's what you're saying when you say inshallah. But sadly, you know, when you say inshallah, <laughs> when I hear it from an Arab person, I'm like, I'm going to look for someone else now. Forget this guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll, can you fix my car, please? Yeah, yeah, I'll look at it tomorrow, inshallah. <laughs> so just scrap the car, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's done. <laughs> You're never gonna hear from me again. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> do you know what? Um, I, I, I do think I can't. I can't take too much credit, but I definitely do agree that it's an Arab thing. But I remember it was something that sometimes uh, we did. But there's only one real example I can think of where we did it though. Because um, I have experienced it a few times from like Arab people that I know from like my area, but with the Bengalis, right? There's always one same instance. I don't know if you can if you can validate this, right? Is when someone says like you know if you have someone over for dinner or you have extended family come, and you don't really see them often. Um, and to be honest, you know you might not want to see them that often. That's probably the reason why. But they come <laughs> round, and then you eat and you feed them, and they're about to leave. 
and they're like, oh, next time, come over to our house, you know, we'll, we'll cook. And you're like, yeah, 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 inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows that you have no intention of ever visiting the house. And everyone has that mutual understanding, even them. But for some reason, it's not rude. They just, they're like, okay, yeah, no problem. See you later. And they're like, yeah, yeah inshallah, like... see you soon. <laughs> And you're thinking it's like, if it's, you it's never like back. a mutual i've done my bit <laughs> yeah. you've done your bit that's cool <laughs> so i don't know if i think bengalis definitely do that one but we've definitely started adopting that in our younger generation we're like, yeah, yeah yeah don't worry i'll come around inshallah yeah defo man you know i want to come around yeah inshallah if god wills i'll be there <laughs> and then you know you're saying god hasn't willed ever so sorry i couldn't make it god hasn't willed yet so you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> oh man no, that's brilliant that is brilliant i love that that's honestly one of my favorite things about because it's like a muslim inherited thing that yeah. uh, we've taken our own way because that would have been classically and historically that would have been such a serious thing yes for sure and we've for sure <laughs> and you know what another one actually that i see um a lot right and i see somali people do it a lot i need to speak to one of my somali friends and see if this is a somali thing or not but they say wallahi all the time is that that is that is true that is true actually. is that just an is that just a somali thing or do arabs do that no, too? you'll you'll hear it you'll hear it in arabs a lot they would say and it would be on like small things like really simple things um but yeah i mean that that actually you know to to swear by allah to to, to essentially that that is that is something that carries a lot of weight if you're yeah, saying that and you are yeah and you're not um a hundred percent sure like yeah you're in trouble kind of thing <laughs> spiritually speaking to get some to give some context to uh, the people that don't know so wallahi basically means to swear by god uh, allah obviously is is the name for god in arabic and um and muslims Generally speaking, Muslims take that very, very seriously. Something you wouldn't really say unless you really wanted to prove your sincerity towards something. So, mm. uh, you know, I've heard very much in uh, in schools and like growing up, people would say, you know, I swear on my mum's life or I swear on this or I swear on that. Muslims don't really mess around with mum's lives and granddad's graves and these kind of things because there's only one thing that you can swear by, which, you know, amounts to more than anything anyone could think, which is God, right? So, you know, people in this country, I think they, you know, I swear to God, I swear to God, I wouldn't. And it's like, okay, but you know, you're atheist anyway. So what are you saying? <laughs> like, but like, um, in in Islam, swearing by God is a really serious thing. And yeah, man, I'm hearing it more and more. Social media is making it more, uh, more common. And I think I'm hearing now, like, wallahi, I ate, wallahi, I ate dinner. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. We don't need to be swearing by God that you ate dinner. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Mom, wallahi, I forgot. Wallahi, I forgot to do it. And you're like, just relax, you know? Like, it doesn't need to... But, uh, nah, it is funny. I see it all the time. And, um, yeah, on social media, I see it all the time. People just using it at any opportunity to... For sure, for sure. Actually, there's a really funny thing. Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, my brother-in-law, he's still in school. Mm -hmm. um, but a couple of years ago, I basically it was the first time I met uh, a few of his school friends. Right. And he, and he's got a mixture of school friends. Uh, you know, there's a couple who, that are Muslim, uh, lots of atheists, and um, uh, a few Hindu as well. Okay. 
So he's got a bit of a bit of a mixture in his in his friendship group. But I heard the uh, Hindu uh, uh, guys, they say inshallah and wallah more than the rest of them. <laughs> so it, it, it seeped out of out of this like uh, out of the the Muslim lot who are saying it less and in his in my brother-in-law's friendship group they're saying it less and less. Um, but the, the Hindu <laughs> uh, folks, they are, they are, they're saying Wallah and Inshallah and uh, and all that sort of stuff. And Alhamdulillah, I heard Alhamdulillah. I was like, Am I hearing this? I just like yeah, Zaid. Are, are they are they Muslim? I sw- that guy's got like something else. Like he's got this Hindu thing on. Like he's got this the um, it's, uh, what's it called? The 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 bindi bangle off. Yeah. Not no, he didn't oh, have that. He had the bangle, and base bracelet. Kara, they say in Urdu. Okay. Um. So he so he had that on. So he wasn't sorry. He wasn't Hindu. He was um. He was Sikh. Okay. But he was he was saying it. But I guess he was saying it like as a as a joke or like as what it is said. But eventually, Zaid told me that it's just it's it's so normal in school for that to be said. People, everyone says say Allah. You know, whenever you're saying, whenever you want someone to be like, you know. Promise me this is what you're telling me is true. Whoever it is, like they're atheist, they're Muslim, they're Muslim, they're not Muslim. It doesn't matter. They say say Allah, or say Wallah, <laughs> and apparently that that is basically the end the end of the conversation. Okay, khalas, he's telling the truth. So it's it's gone into those circles apparently. <laughs> no, I love that. See, that's what we want. We want that the beauty of that religious part of it to to not infiltrate. That sounds like a terrorism word, but you know, <laughs> like. Uh, we want it to, you know, spread out, man, because it's very normal for, for us to say, you know, in this conversation, we've probably said it loads of times, but, um, you know, being able to make it normalized and mm. uh, accepted amongst, you know, other societies and cultures is cool, man. I think I'm all for that. I used to say it a lot in my previous job um, okay. when it was predominantly, I think there must have been three or four. My guest, Samir, um, he was one of the only other um, Asians, there was about four or four of us in a company of like seven, eight hundred people. And mm-hmm. we got like, I had my whole team, my entire team was white, English. The whole team was like, inshallah, bro. Yeah. All right. See you guys in a bit. Yeah. Inshallah. And they used to, <laughs> and it was cool, man. I used to love that because it was like, that's yeah, awesome. It's an acceptance and it's a, it's a very common understanding that, you know, he's Muslim and that's just what he says. And now we're going to say it too. So, no, man, that's, um, that's been really cool. So, my brother Ahmed, I want to say thank you very much for being here. It's been a pleasure having you on my podcast and uh, hearing, you know, your amazing story from, you know, being an asylum seeker to the UK and having this incredible journey to to hear where you are today and, and um, the kind of road along that and hearing all about it has been amazing to hear, man. So now thank you for giving me your time today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a while since we've talked anyway. Uh, so it, this was this long overdue, and I'm uh, really glad we got to do it this way. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. Jazakallah khair. Wayak, wayak. And let's uh, let's definitely catch up. And this is the real, inshallah. This inshallah, is the real. We'll catch up. This is the, we're <laughs> gonna catch up, inshallah, man. Yeah, inshallah. inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, guys, I've been your host, Saj. This is my guest today, Ahmed. Thank you very much, and please tune in for the next one. Peace.